Looking forward to welcoming Reed Hastings uh, to the Canadian Club today. Co-founder and CEO of Netflix, founder of a leading software company, member of the board of Microsoft Reed, Reed has been witness to the revolution in communication and home entertainment. Don't think there's much in our lives that has changed more and changed more quickly in the last generation and how we receive information and how we are entertained. We've moved from the typewriter to the tablet, from the phone to the smartphone. And in entertainment, we've moved from a minuscule choice of network television where we watched programs and movies when we were told to, to a virtually unlimited multi-channel universe with programs and movies delivered across many channels available to us when we want to see them. It's hard to comprehend not only the innovation required for these changes to take place, but the speed at which that innovation has taken place. It takes not only foresight, but remarkable insight, the kind Reed Hastings has, to anticipate consumer demand by providing services to consumers they've not even thought of, much less figured out they need. I think Reed makes true in this century what Henry Ford reputedly said in the last when he allowed he didn't put much stock in consumer surveys. Uh, Mr. Ford is popularly, popularly believed to have said that if he relied on what consumers could envisage, he would have simply developed a faster horse. Today we're fortunate to have with us Reed Hastings who's built a career on giving consumers what they have yet to imagine they need. Please join me in welcoming both Reed Hastings and the CBC's and the Canadian Club's Amanda Lang. Thank you so much for that, Jamie. And we do want uh, your questions, of course, as usual. So if you have them, write them down. They'll come up here. And as soon as I get any, I'll incorporate them into the conversation. I don't want to hog the floor. I get to do it every day. So, uh, and that's just at home. Thank you for being here. Uh, Jamie mentioned that uh, Reed is on the board of Microsoft, which, of course, he is. He's also on the board of Facebook. So high five. <laughs> want to talk a little bit about uh, the way your business is unfolding, but let's start, you're just back from Sundance. What's going on at Sundance? Yeah, I'm a, a big film festival buff, um, and uh, the uh, film that I liked most at Sundance this year is one called The Surrogate. Um, Fox picked it up, so it will be out uh, not too long from now, uh, and it's a true story um, that I, I won't spoil for you, but it's, uh, it's disturbing and tender, and Holly Hunter stars in it. Um, and I got to see it at the Eccles Theater, which is a 2,000-person uh, theater. And at the end of it, the lights come up. There was a minute-long standing ovation for the film. And it just touched everybody in an hmm. incredible way. And that afternoon, it sold for the highest-priced film for Sundance that, this year. When you see a film like that, do you think that's going to be on my service one day? Is that in your mind? You know, I, I think, oh, my God, it's going to cost us so much to have that film <laughs> on our service. But we got to do it. Content is obviously the single biggest driver of how you live and grow. So let's talk about where you're at with that. Because for a while, there was a feeling that 
you were maybe behind the curve, a lot of old stuff, where's the new stuff? Uh, so what's the kind of messaging? Where do you think you, Netflix is, is at now with your content, content offering? Well, you know, in a big picture, think about it as um, broadcast TV networks um, started in the 1940s um, and were the dominant paradigm for uh, television and for video from 1940s to the mid to late 80s. And in the mid to late 80s, new cable networks started. Um, and cable networks, in the same way, uh, they had kind of funky, offbeat content that um, the broadcast networks were not paying attention to. And then um, cable networks, because they could offer more selection, um, started growing and growing and growing. And now um, the broadcast networks you know, are still part of the total viewing pie, but cable networks are the biggest piece of the pie. And what we're seeing now, just as there was an evolution from broadcast network to cable network, it's emerging as cable network to internet network. And what happens with internet network is you get these incredible advantages, click and watch, you can watch it on your uh, iPad, you can watch it on your television, um, so you get great portability, great control and convenience, personalization, social, all of those aspects. And so now all of the cable networks and broadcast networks are trying to figure that out um, in the same way that the original broadcast networks kind of became cable networks over enough number of years. So we're right in the beginning uh, of one of these you know, multi-decade evolutions. And just as cable networks started with um, offbeat content and then grew into mainstream content, that's the path for Netflix. In your case, um, your, some of your customers, uh, or I guess your, your allies, are actually competitors, possible competitors. They're not quite there yet, but they certainly would like to be there one day. How do you manage through that period? I mean, the very high-speed network that you run on is often operated by a content company that probably wants to do what you're doing if they can do it. How do you manage that today, sort of strategically? Well, what enables um, this third wave uh, you know, of television from broadcast to cable to Internet networks really is the Internet. Uh, and it's hard, you know, we're in the first 20 or 30 years of the Internet um, to know exactly how big an evolution in society is this. Um, you know, uh, will it be as big as the railroad? Will it be as big as the automobile in a, in a change in society as the telephone? Um, or will it be even bigger, uh, like the agricultural revolution uh, 5,000 years ago or the industrial revolution 200 years ago? It could be that dramatic over the next 50 years. And what's happening is the physicists are figuring out how to put more and more bandwidth into a single fiber optic. Okay, the peak Netflix viewing is on a Saturday night, you know, and it's terabits and terabits across the world. 47 countries Netflix is in, 25 million users, uh, and it's terabits. And all of that bandwidth today can fit inside a single fiber optic. Okay, and a fiber optic is the size of one human hair. Okay, so it's just, we are just beginning, when eventually there is fiber optic to every home in the world, um, all kinds of incredible scenarios about telemedicine and, and, you know, it'll make like current Skype will seem like the horse and buggy, yeah. okay, you know, compared to what's possible at that time. And so um, all kinds of e-government learning, um, you know, many people will do most of their learning online with this incredible bandwidth two-way uh, and governments around the world are competing on how to get incredible bandwidth to every citizen. So Australia, uh, two years ago, the government decided to buy um, the Telstra copper lines, the incumbent uh, telco, and then convert them all to fiber um, on the taxpayer expense because they want to have uh, you know, the most wired nation on earth. 
Um, now, that's not surprising. A nation like Australia in the middle of Asia trying to figure that out. What, what's more surprising is cases like Costa Rica. So I was in Costa Rica about a year ago up on the northwest coast, pretty rural area, way down a dirt road. And I was surprised how good the DSL was. And for those of you who know DSL, you know, if you're getting two or three megabits, it's reasonably close to a, a couple miles um, to a, a, to a DSLAM. And so one day, the, the surfing wasn't good. And so we decided, well, we're going to walk back along the telephone line and figure out what's going on here. So we, we're kind of geeky. So anyway, we walked back. Uh, and it's about you know two, how to plan a two miles through the jungle. I'm telling you, I'm a hot date that way. Let's go see the D-slam. Um, and in the middle of the jungle, there's this box, you know, about uh, two meters high, a meter by a meter. Um, and all the phone lines go into it, and a fiber optic goes out the back. And the thing that's surprising is it's another 20 miles of dirt, dirt road before you get to a major town. It's another 20 miles till you get to a, a, a major town. And so I asked some of the Costa Ricans, what's going on? And they said, oh, the government is prioritizing fiber optic over paving the roads. Okay, and that this is the transformation that they yep. see for in Costa Rica. Now, this is happening in Brazil. This is happening, you know, around the world. Um, and you know, the, in a way, that's akin to rural electrification, you know, 80 years ago, which is it's going to become a, a fundamental right. In Finland, they made it part of the law that every citizen has a right to 100 megabits. So it's you know, it's a it's an amazing seeing all the different approaches, and that's what's enabling all these new scenarios of internet, including you know, in one little narrow space where Netflix. Is, is around tr transforming the TV experiences and making them better. You operate in a lot of places. Uh, can I just ask, show of hands, who is a Netflix subscriber in this room? I just got to put my hand up. Thank you. It's not bad, right? Canada is actually a place you, you started. That's right. So can we talk about that? Why, why did you come? I know we're like Americans, but nicer. But <laughs> why did you choose this as a market you wanted to test? I also know you don't like test markets, but that's what it was. Yeah, um, you know, we started in the U.S. with DVD by mail, um, and then we started expanding into streaming. And we realized the future is around streaming, and though there's, you know, a small market for DVD still, that we should focus on streaming. Um, and as you said, uh, the uh, content tastes of what people like are pretty similar um, between Canada and the U.S. And so for us, it was a great way to get started with just streaming and say, if we want to be purely a great streaming company, what would that look like? Uh, and we launched 15 months ago, and we were just stunned because we honestly did not have that great content. No, no offense to Alliance here. Uh, uh, in the beginning. But then the market started taking off, and that's when we started to be able to license more content. So roughly, the more subscribers we have, uh, the more revenue we have, the more content we can license. And so the service has just gotten better and better and better. And you know, we crossed over a million subscribers in the first year of launching. Um, and partially is because it's so cheap. You know, it's just $7.99 a month, and there's yeah. no commitments. You can just get in and get out whenever you want. So, you know, that helps a lot. Um, but then we've really focused on all the little cases, making sure on the PS3 that the startup time is great, that the streaming on an Xbox is perfect, that it's built into the Samsung TV. So it's, it's all of these things. Um, and so now Canada is our, you know, leading nation on, on Earth for the street and streaming only. We've still got, you know, the DVD base in the U.S. Yeah. There, you had some um, bad press in the last sort of six, seven months. And in fact, I bet if I show of hands, who here thinks Netflix is kind of in trouble right now? Anyone? Oh, they're all too nice, just like you said. It's true. You know. 
if, if, but if you're not a business journalist or somebody who follows closely or is intensely interested, yeah, yeah. the last thing you heard was Netflix changed its pricing model and got absolutely taken to the woodshed over it. Uh, and I've been curious ever since, whose idea was that? No, that was mine. Excellent. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we changed the pricing on the DVD side. So the streaming pricing stayed in the US also, $7.99 US consistently for the last couple of years. Um, but we changed the pricing on the DVD side uh, more than we should have. Um, and uh, you know, we deserved what we got. Um, if somebody other than you had made that decision, would you have fired them? Not necessarily. No. Um, our, our basic philosophy is um, try a lot of things, fail fast, go big. And, you know, in the Internet era, you, you, we're not going to get everything right. You know, we're going to have to just try a lot of things um, and see what happens. And so, you know, we would look at, we try to look at track records. Um, and if someone has a really good track record, then if they have one big miss, it's not a big deal. Yeah. You know, if every decision they do is messed up, then, of course, we would. Now, and I say that would be the impression you might have. You since then have reported a quarter that kind of blew the doors off, and subscribers are back. Yeah. So was that just a, was it a communications thing? Uh, were there people you needed to get rid of because they're part of the legacy business and you wanted to lose them anyway? But I mean, no. you're, you're back in healthy shape, right? Yeah, but streaming has been growing for us consistently yeah. since we started it four years ago. So just think stream is going up and up and up and up. Um, DVD was steady, and then we did this too big a price increase at once on DVD, and then that's fell. Are you happy okay. to lose those people? No. You can be um, honest. We, we won't tell. No, it, it, you know, they're great customers. They provide revenue, profit, they're, and eventually they'll be streaming customers too. Yeah. Um, so no, I think we just made a mistake on it um, in terms of moving too quickly. Uh, and like you said, we've uh, now the total company is back to growing. And you know, in the ironic thing now, we're the highest performing stock in the U.S. on S&P 500 this year. Yes. You know, from our low of last year, only because the way our crisis lined up is it fit into the calendar year. So now, <laughs> now, now we're at the top of all the league tables of the highest performance. So mostly, we're pretty disciplined about not paying a ton of attention on that. We pay a ton of attention to customer satisfaction yeah. and how do we continue to make our service better and better. And now we're in, in 47 countries. You know, we launched uh, UK and Ireland about four weeks ago, and that's been going great. Um, so we're just very excited about, you know, the Internet is a global medium, and our content licensing is per region. And so, you know, we've got to go per region, but then we're really excited to get closer and closer to global. In the long term of what we're trying to do is, is create markets for content producers. So if you can tell a story on film or television, which is hard, what we want to be able to do is be a global market for you and be able to you know, offer your content around the world. And you know, we have these amazing Argentinian films, not just in Argentina, but around the world. We have BBC content. We have Japanese anime. We have Canadian content, not just for Canadians. I mean, you've got many options you know, here in Canada. But we're trying to create markets for our Canadian-produced content yeah. around the globe. And so think of it as the way it ought to work is global markets. Uh, and you know, it, it's not that the market for Canadian content in Mexico is going to be huge, but it's also not zero. Okay, and what we're really efficient at with the internet is you know, to, to enable all of that content around the world and at least create the biggest reach possible because no matter where you are, you know, there's parts of the world's content uh, that are really exciting. You, I mean, you talked about the, that we don't yet know how big the impact is, which is kind of a, a profound statement because we know it's pretty darn big already. Yeah. But you're right, we, don't, we can't really measure it yet. One of the things we don't know is how content is going to be treated 
um, and we just saw the reaction in the US to an attempt at copyright protection that really got beaten up. I don't know where it's going to wind up, but yep. uh, it isn't going well for those that want to really clamp down on copyright. So where does that, are, are you sort of the white knight of that space? Are you, or are you threatened by that, the idea? Because there's a whole generation of people who thinks if it's online, it should be free, and they're happy to steal it. Yeah, in different uh, nations, there's different levels of societal embrace and toleration of piracy. And certainly piracy is a big negative of the internet era. Um, just like, for example, pollution is of the automobile era or something. In other words, every great advance also has some costs and you have to figure out how to deal with those costs in, in each society. Um, and in the more developed world, piracy is um, a problem mostly because there hasn't been access to the content. And the more there's access, uh, the more most people basically are willing and able to pay for it. So for example, a year and a half ago uh, when we launched, BitTorrent was the biggest user of content uh, in Canada and Canadian ISPs. Um, and now it's down considerably and Netflix is up. And so it's a conversion because Netflix is low cost, easy to use and meets the need. And frankly, it's much better than having to like download and deal with all the torrents and stuff. But in markets where we aren't, um, like Spain is an example, piracy is a terrible, a large phenomena. And so it really hits the local content producers. You know, the Hollywood studios still have the rest of the world to be able to get revenues from. But if you're a local Spanish producer where most of your revenues came from Spain, uh, then it's a huge problem because the, of the piracy. So nation by nation, we've got to find ways of dealing with it, which is a combination, maybe some laws, but it's also around offering low-cost alternatives um, that, are, that are really good. Uh, this question from the room made me nervous on your behalf because it starts, I went to Netflix last night. It's like, oh, no. Uh, but it's a question about original content, that you, you're releasing an original series, uh, possibly starring one of the stars of The Sopranos. Uh, but in terms of going down the road of original content, where, catch us up on where you are and what the plan is. Yeah, um, one of the things that we're doing is starting to fund original content where uh, we find a producer has got a, a great vision and they've got a, a, something they want to do. And what we'll do is guarantee uh, the economics. So we don't know how good the show's going to be, but we pay independent of that. And with that money up front uh, and guaranteed, then they're able to actually do the production. And so the first one of these uh, actually premieres in just a few days on February 6th in the U.S. and Canada, Lillehammer. Um, uh, and it's a fish out of water story. Um, Stevie Van Zandt from Sopranos uh, is um, in a witness protection program. He's exiled uh, to Norway. Um, and so he's in Lillehammer uh, because he picked Lillehammer because he saw it in the Olympics 15 years ago. Um, and he is an odd duck um, in Norway. And it, it launched in Norway a few days ago and it's the highest rated show in ever in Norwegian television. So it's a 50% share in growing. I mean, it is just like this sensation in Norway. Now, the question is, what would that mean for the rest of the world? Yeah. We'll know more uh, February 6th. And the second thing is instead of stringing people out uh, one episode a week, one episode a week, and you got to wait, what's great about Netflix is being able to click and watch next episode, next episode. Yeah. So we're launching all of season one, eight episodes at once. And you can try it at your leisure. And if you get into it, you can watch the next episode, the next episode. So I think it's you know, part of the new era and being able to do this. A question, uh, what your content suppliers think about the move of you moving into original content production? 
Well, I suppose in some cases it may make them nervous, but mostly uh, we're straightforward with them of, look, you'll produce things and we'll take them. And the more you produce and the more you license to us, um, you know, we're happy to do all of that. Now, yeah. you know, we have many competitors, uh, other cable networks, and so, you know, and they all produce content. And so I think it's the natural evolution to have it be a part of a mix, even HBO. Uh, which in the U.S. is very good at originals. Only one-third of their spending is originals, um, and two-thirds uh, are uh, content from, that has already been produced. Now, those in the television industry know that, uh, other than a, a natural disaster, live sports is really the only way to get people to watch when you want them to watch. Otherwise, we're all PVRing. Or the we, news is not doing we it? We should be. The, you can PVR the news, too, and skip the commercials. Um, so in terms of the, the, the future of you and live sports, is there any, yeah. any notion that you would go into no. any content like that? No, um, sports is a great market, um, but there are many other firms focused on it. Um, and we're focused on movies and TV shows. Um, and that'll be our exclusive focus for many, many years. Um, and that's a big market for movies and TV shows on a global basis. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to be the brand for me that just says content? Why would you limit yourself to one part of the content dial? I think in the internet ecosystem, there's not going to be one brand that is content. So, for example, YouTube, you know, do you have to do user generated? Um, how about yoga tutorials? How about Khan Academy doing calculus lessons? I mean, these are all different types of video yeah. serving different needs. And so, we're not trying to be all internet video for a person. We're really trying to be, you know, one service that's really good at movies and TV shows. And many people will subscribe to other services that, um, for example, do sports or do uh, news or do music. Um, you know, that's just an, another form, essentially. Somebody's asking about gaming. Same thing, you'll stay out of gaming? Yeah, right? gaming's not a focus for us. Okay. Uh, in terms of your own history, um, somebody here who knows this, I didn't know this about you. When I asked if you would fire yourself, uh, or you would fire the person who made that decision on pricing, uh, apparently you were asked to resign uh, in earlier days, and you refused? Um, that's a reference to my first company, yeah. uh, I believe anyway, um, uh, which would be 1992 or three. Okay. Um, and I was a young CEO, um, and things weren't going well. Uh, and two or three times I went to the board and said, um, you know, I really think we should have a different CEO that I care. I want oh, you the company tried to, quit. to be successful. Oh. Um, and two or three times they said, you know, you're not perfect, um, but we want to bet on you. Uh, and if they hadn't, you know, I'm sure my life story would be quite different. Um, but they did, and then that company became very successful. That was pure software. Right, okay. And so another question asked uh, how you deal with stress. You don't seem stressed out. Uh, how do I deal with stress? You know, it, perspective, I would say. You know, real stress is, uh, you know, the White House in 1862 when they're having to evacuate Washington, D.C. because the Confederate forces are gaining. You know, uh, I mean, you know, real stress <laughs> is... Something we can all relate to. You know, your kid has cancer, right? Real stress is, you know, very fundamental human things. Um, and what we do is like intense sports, okay? Like we really care, we're passionate, we wanna win. And when we lose a round or a game, like last year with the pricing thing, it is bitterly disappointing. Like losing a big match, okay? Yeah. And yeah. it's frustrating and it's hard and you care, but you gotta maintain perspective, you know? And uh, so uh, the, it's never been that stressful um, in that sense. Uh, Larry Ellison kind of famously, uh, and I think he might have repeated it recently, said, if you have to acquire it, you've failed internally. You should be able to develop it. 
Do you believe that? Where does innovation come from at Netflix? Um, I don't believe that. We've done no acquisitions, but some companies do acquisitions very successfully. So uh, I, I don't think those are correlated. Um, the fundamental thing about innovation is having a culture um, where you're willing to take risks. Um, and if your view is no mistakes, okay, then it's very, very hard to be innovative. And if your view is swing for the fences, you know, and we're going to have some strikeouts, but, you know, this is an era of creating home runs. And uh, no matter how Netflix does, the most important thing for us is that we're trying really hard, we're taking bold risks, um, and on balance we think that's going to work out very well. Uh, but it's uh, having a, a risk-tolerant culture um, rather than a risk-adverse culture. What's the boundary for you? What's the, uh, I guess, the frontier that you're most interested in Netflix in pushing? Um, well, right now it's global expansion. Yeah. So, you know, we're in 47 of 200 countries, so we've got a long way to go. Um, and it's building, you know, the, this global distribution network where we can make more money for content producers than they've ever seen. Um, and because of scale, offer lower prices to consumers around the world than they've ever seen. And if you can provide, a company can provide that matching, um, you know, then you can get to a very valuable and big company. Is it true that your DVD business is a higher margin than your, mar your streaming? It seems unlikely, but somebody that asked this question, that your DVD business is higher margin than your streaming business. The, it's a, a bit of economic theory here, but the, the marginal customer on streaming is much more profitable because there's very few marginal costs. Whereas the marginal DVD customer, you have to mail, you got a lot of postage, right. you got revenue sharing, other things. But the DVD business as a whole is mature and now shrinking. And so there's no investment going in. So it's got high profit margins as a whole. Right. Okay. okay. Um, Looks and the streaming business, because we're investing in international aggressively, is a net loss. Okay. But on a, on a, it depends which lens you want to use. Yeah. And when you think of the business model going to the sort of DVD delivery, you could add a click to buy option and deliver somebody a movie they can own. Nothing like that in the future? No, there's a couple companies um, who do that, obviously Amazon with e-commerce, um, and they do a great job of it. And then in the pay-per-view space and video, um, where you can download it like Apple iTunes, you know, is very good at doing that. So, uh, you know, they're focused on newer content, you yeah. know, more expensive. Um, and we're focused on this unlimited viewing for $7.99 a month. Question about Canadian regulators and content rules here. Uh, do you think, I mean, so far you're, you operate in a space that our regulators have kind of left alone, uh, although maybe people who operate in the space wouldn't agree, but they're not treating it the same way they treat traditional media, uh, not yet anyway. Do you worry about that, that you're going to, A, have to deal with content rules in Canada, and B, have to deal with regulators in every different country you operate in? Well, there's a challenge because the internet is much more a global medium, and in the past, um, whether it's airwaves or, or cable and, and telco lines, they uh, clearly have a jurisdiction. Yeah. And so whether it's Apple or iTunes, uh, you know, whether it's Skype, um, you know, there's all of this kind of more international, global uh, world. And I think each society wrestles with how to support its content uh, makers. So uh, different countries will go with different solutions. You know, in the UK, there's a television tax that supports the BBC. Um, in other countries, they do other things. And so each country will figure out, um, you know, what makes sense uh, in terms of um, strengthening their local content industry. 
And our part in that is try to provide global markets for the local content industry. What we want to do is strengthen in each of the markets, whether I refer to the Argentinian filmmakers, you know, or, or Canadian content developers, and, and really create bigger markets for them. Because we can be efficient, even if there's only a small market for Canadian content in the UK, say, yeah. we can be efficient at addressing that and actually increase the total pie. You did not answer the question. That was a really good answer, but <clears throat> if you ha if let me put it another way, if if Canadian content rules were imposed on you today, would you stand up to scrutiny? Maybe you don't know. You're the CEO. What what the hell do you know about that? Well, I, Jason, I, I know that um, on on all uh, as we grow as a global firm, you know we have to comply with all the local laws, yes. and that that's an important part of being a global citizen. And so uh, we're, we're in compliance with all those. But if you mean specifically, are we required to? You um, are right now. There's no Canadian to content. To commit to the you. Canadian content, so we buy a lot of Canadian content. Yeah. Um, but we don't. We're, we don't have to contribute to the CanCon funds. Right. Um, in that way, because we're an internet company, and neither does iTunes or YouTube or the others. Right. And so that's where the. Do you think you will have to? Do you think you should have to? You know, it's not a question of should as, a, as an outsider for me to answer. I think, you know, in Canadian society, as in, again, Britain or other societies, each country will take a different approach yeah. to how they want uh, to be involved with content. Um, and then we'll, you know, we work with that. So, for example, the BBC, they do the television-based tax, uh, produce a lot of content, and then we license BBC content both in the UK uh, prior season yeah. um, and then also around the world. Um, and so there's many different approaches. But in, in each country, whatever you know, uh, Canada decides, we'll work with. Somebody's asking about Google um, as obviously a pretty serious competitor. You have, you have many competitors, so Google and others. Who, what do you worry about? What are you worried about when you look at the landscape? Well, there are. There's um, all the existing uh, cable networks and networks. Um, so that's one class of competition, uh, Astral Chorus, et cetera. Yeah. Um, there's another class of competition, which is the other internet companies, Google, Amazon, Apple, um, so some very significant companies there. And then there's always the startup that no one's heard of that uh, you know, some of these students over here are going to form uh, you know, that has a whole other angle on the way video works. Um, and uh, you know, you're involved with a video because all the users vote on how the storyline should evolve, and they pioneer some new form of storytelling. And, right. and then I'm an old guy, so I'm like, well, who would ever do that? <laughs> you know, and then it becomes a dominant paradigm. So there, there's all those sets of competitors. One question about from a subscriber um, here in Canada who travels globally can't get their Net, their Netflix Canada when they travel. Is there a way around that? I mean, do you envision this as a, as a portable service, or is it by definition going to have to be domiciled somewhere? Well, it's portable in a sense that when you join Netflix, you're joining Netflix Global. And then um, when you're physically in Canada, you see the Canadian content. When you're in the UK, you see the UK content. When you're in Mexico, you see the Mexican content. Right. So it follows television licensing models. Um, that is the territory where you are receiving it. Um, so there's both pros and cons of that, which is it's really cool when you're in the UK and Netflix and you pull up and you get all this great UK content, you know, or you're in Latin America and it's like turning on the TV locally, you expect to see Latin American content and, th and that's how it works for us. You are, um, it's been noted on the board of Microsoft, you've started uh, several companies, you're seen as a bit of a tech visionary. So just envision your own company for me five years from now. What does Netflix look like? Well, we will be mostly streaming. Um, hopefully by five years, we'll be in uh, fully global, so available anywhere in the world. 
Um, we'll have a, a ton more content because we'll have more subscribers. Um, hopefully for many content producers, we would be their number one customer, uh, their largest customer. Um, and then on the consumer side, uh, TV will be amazingly social. Um, it'll be highly integrated with uh, your music and news and all these other ways. Um, uh, it'll be instant HD, you know, you'll, like buffering will be like uh, this ancient thing that, you know, like what was that? Like a rotary you know, phone. Like a rotary phone. Um, so uh, those will be some of the big differences. You are on the Facebook board. Um, do you see integration in that way? Do you see a, a time when Netflix becomes integrated into social media and the, that kind of community? Well, we've been working um, on social and, and integrating with Facebook and, and other social platforms for many years. Um, so it's kind of independent of uh, me being involved with Facebook. Okay. Um, and what does that look like? I mean, do you, again, I know you see your strength is this silo uh, of what you deliver, and you, it sounds like sure. you're, you're happy to stay there, but how broad could it get? Well, you know when you see a great uh, TV show or movie and you're just like bubbly and you're calling up your sister or brother and talking about it? Yeah. So, you know, there's a natural human desire to share intense experiences. Um, and the question that everyone's working on is, is how to morph that online. Um, and you know, over time, much of that water cooler conversation uh, will will move online, and it is already for younger people. Um, and so, specifically, the, the the way it works today is, if you're a subscriber, say in Canada here, and you connect to your Facebook profile, then you get to see everything that your friends are viewing, and you share everything that you're viewing. And you can block specific titles if you want, but there's not many titles on Netflix you would care to block. Um, but uh, it's really fun, you know, when you start to see, oh, you know, I'll try this content, I'll try that content, um, because it, it, I get to see what my friends are watching. So as a way of discovery yeah. and seeing what's interesting, um, it's very exciting. And in general, we find, you know, most people who are 40 plus feel that, why would I share everything with all my friends? It's like being an exhibitionist. You know, and everyone under 40 is like, of course, how come I couldn't do it? You know, right. there's, a, there's a big divide there. Now, Andy Grove at Intel used to say that the secret to their success was paranoia. Uh, what, what makes you paranoid? What are, what are you most fearful about when you think of the health and future of your business? Um, you know, we really don't have a lot of paranoia or fear. Um, you know, paranoid people are delusional. Right, so I'm, I'm not sure Andy's Grove quote is that. It is quoted a lot, but I'm not sure it's accurate. Really? Because, no, really. Be, you know, <laughs> uh, being um, paranoid, you know, and schizophrenic is not a healthy thing. Um, what I you don't want think he meant do, it in the DSM-4 way. I no, I, I think you're probably right. He didn't, but uh, but just taking the words of what they are. Uh, I think what you want to constantly be focused on is, you know, what can you do, you know, in terms of changing the world in the next few years. And so what we think about is, wow, what if we had much more content? What if the HD streaming worked all the time? What if we were in every device? Um, what if Netflix were so personalized that every time you turned it on, right in front of you were 10 pieces of content that you were just dying to watch? Um, you know, what if it was so social that you maintained a relationship with someone who had moved to another town you haven't seen for a while, but because you both got into uh, Mad Men, you know, it was like a touch point and you were talking and feeling that human personal warmth. Yeah. What if all these things happen? And, and those are the things that we focus on. So, you know, I think Andy Groves was more about how do you protect, okay? And, and we're more about um, how do we invent? You are... Uh exposed to a great deal and think about this and I could tell just from a conversation you were having at lunch that you like technology a lot. What's the coolest thing you've seen 
in the last year or so? What's the technology we may not know about, but that you think is pretty neat? That you don't know about? I mean, uh, well, you we may know, have heard about it, but. Um, well, let's see, outside of Netflix, um, <laughs> I would say, in terms of like my own usage, um, Spotify as um, a, a social music service, which uh, unfortunately is not yet available in Canada, yeah. um, is uh, it's a company out of Sweden um, that's really changing the world in terms of, you know, like probably most people, my music taste got stale, right? You know, I, I have my music from 25 years ago and then I've hardly really expanded beyond that. And Spotify is the first service where I'm seeing what all my friends are, and at least I've got some cool friends. And then they've got, you know, newer music. And then I'm like, oh, I'm trying this and trying that. And, you know, off of that, it makes it um, really interesting. Yeah. Um, and so that's that, that amazing aspect. Um, if I were to do companies I'm associated with, you know, then, of course, Facebook. And, you know, the Microsoft phone, the Windows phone, is the best piece of technology that no one uses. Um, it's uh, sort of the inverse of the Macintosh 20 years ago. Um, so that we, would be too. We may hear more about that, I think, as we go along. I think we're out of time, and I want to ask everybody to join me in thanking you for your uh, candid, good-natured response. Thank you all. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Um, my name is Allison Lode, and I'm on the board of the Canadian Club. Um, it's rare that I use my thank you notes as an opportunity to take notes on what the speaker said, um, which is a wonderful uh, way of, of introducing uh, my thank you to, to both to you, the audience, but in particular, uh, Mr. Hastings, to you for being with us. Um, as you were talking, I was remembering slightly sheepishly and with the recognition of the passing of a generation, the day that my father brought home my very, our very first family VCR. Um, and feels like it wasn't that long ago, but uh, I'm sure I'm not alone in uh, really enjoying this opportunity to both reflect on the history of, of home entertainment and communications, um, but also having such a, a wonderful opportunity to think about its future. Um, it really is a golden age for those of us, um, who I'm sure I'm not alone here, who love uh, great content and great stories. Um, you have clearly been at the forefront of communications and entertainment innovation for the last 20 years, and it is such a pleasure to have you with us here at the Canadian Club. So thank you very, very much, and please join me in, in thanking you. Thank you, Allison, and thanks, uh, Reed and Amanda, for that uh, very interesting, uh, very interesting question and answer session. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers Television in the days to come. We continue to be grateful to Rogers and to 680 News for their support of the Canadian Club and its uh, and its events. Uh, to learn more about our club, please and our upcoming events, please visit us at Canadian Club. Org. To everyone who's here at the Royal York, we thank you for joining us. Wish you a great weekend. This, week, this meeting is now adjourned. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.